Welcome to Everything Between, the podcast where a dad and daughter duo delve deep into topics ranging from true crime to paranormal occurrences to urban legends and, well, everything in between. I'm Emma. I'm the dad. How was your week? It was boring. No soccer. No soccer. Yep. Except we did discover that my bio teacher is a Liverpool fan. That's true. So it's just one more good person in the world. (laughs) Um, besides soccer, how was your week? We got to watch the Ted Bundy tapes. Yes. Yeah. That was really good. I have to say though, because, um, it's good. People should see it. It's, um, for those, well, pretty much most of the people that listen to this were not even born when Mm -hmm. he was going through his, that includes uh, me. Yeah. Through his, you know, serial crimes. Um, but I do remember when when it happened but um how how do you remember when it happened it was in the mid-70s but after like all the whole trial but you were like a tiny little child yeah so it did real time i didn't know what happened but when he was at trial i mean it it was late 80s yeah that's true i read the book i read the end rule book um i didn't read the this book that this um, like the conversation killer thing yeah I, i don't remember reading that um but the one thing i did read and what i find interesting is through another book that in between his last, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if it was a second trial or whatever it was, but to prolong his, I don't know how many stays of execution he had, but he fought like hell to stay alive. Mm. And you'll see in the documentary, we're not giving anything away, but there was all these things where he, when he would confess to crimes or get interviewed. But there was an FBI pro, profiler that was really angry because it was, it wasn't just him, but multiple. Um, serial killers would basically start confessing to crimes that they, just, that they didn't. just didn't do, right? Because then it would cause they'd you know they'd even take sometimes the killers out of the, out of jail to go walk where they thought these you know cold cases were. So right. so it got to this point where I know that for him he did that in one of the stays, and then at the end he did it again, um, and then he you know well again oh, people should see it because th- there was an FBO an FBI profiler at the end with him. But I believe in between there was some kind of a, they did like a video feed through a, um, with all these policemen. Mm-hmm. So he would talk. And so people that had cold cases would bring up things that were similar to his, his uh, MO. Right. And of course he would be like, yeah, no, that was me. And then of course where we, then they would want to go interview him and go yeah, so and that, that kind of thing. So extends, that was the only downside, yeah. but, but that was good. And I think, uh, it was worth it. I also watched um, the documentary on the Fire Festival. I only watch Netflix when we don't have Hulu. I saw the tail end of it. That dude needs to be. I mean, he's only, well, he's in jail, but for like Didn't six it years. Say like, yeah, it said like seven years. And what something. he did is, it is so disgusting to watch. I mean, you, you, I felt like I had to take a shower after watching, after watching it. I didn't see the Hulu one. We don't have Hulu. So for those who have both, we'd love to hear. You know, just the comparisons between the two. The only thing I've read is that if you hated him in the Netflix one, you'll hate him even more oh my God. in the Hulu one. Because I, I believe he's actually interviewed in oh, the wow. Hulu one. Um, Do you want to give like a quick like explanation about what it's about? Cause I I'm no assuming idea. all the listeners, your crew would know because you guys are very um, adept to social media where mm-hmm. the old folk like us would have been like, what the hell are they talking about? But quickly, Fire Festival was a big fraud where they got all these models to basically start hashtagging this festival in the Bahamas where apparently he said he had bought an island and that it was going to be an exclusive um, you know, music festival with top lot, top level bands, models, actors, all these other things, um, Ja Rule, was his partner in other entities, but in this entity as well. And I don't know how much um, Ja Rule was in the behind the scenes of actually doing it. I think this mm-hmm. is more this guy, Billy McFarland. But basically, he scammed a whole host of people. People end up showing up to this place. And at the end, the people who really got screwed, I mean, the people who spent thousands and thousands of dollars to go to this, I have no remorse or you know <laughs> sympathy or empathy for you. 
but the folks who live in the Bahamas, all the people that did the work and went through this and businesses that they are the ones that are got screwed the most and have yet to see a dime. I do believe one woman after this documentary went on, somebody did a GoFundMe because she lost $50,000 of her own savings because she basically was like, I had to pay these people because you know I'm Bahamian and I'm not going to, I live here. So I right. have to take care of all these folks. So, but it was so ugly and wow. But the thing that kills me too is that all those models and you know influencers, crap, whatever. Um, there's now I think they're trying to make a law that if you do this kind of thing, you have to say it's an advertisement because they were saying just hashtagging Fire Festival and they were somebody got Kendall Jenner got paid two hundred fifty thousand dollars to just make one post about the Fire Festival. Oh and my God! People thought she was going to be there. All these other things, and it was purely an advertisement you know, kind of sponsored, paid, a paid advertisement. So I think they're trying to change the law that if you don't, you can be sued for um, false advertising. You, the influencer. Right. So there's a whole, there's a huge class actions lawsuit. I just read that they're now subpoena, they subpoenaed a bunch of the models as well. Like, oh, wow. um, Again, I can't remember. Amla, I can't say say her last name, Rakowski or whatever. Um, um, Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I don't know. uh, Bella Hadid, she's getting subpoenaed, and all of the um, agencies as well, because apparently they did get paid, and it's in bankruptcy now, and they may have gotten their money, and some of them didn't even show up, like even some bands didn't show up, like Blink-182, and and I believe they got paid. Oh my God. It's crazy, but if you watch it, again, if you think it's too good to be true. It probably is. It is too good to be true. (laughs) All right. But yeah. Wow. That's oh, insane. and the last one we saw. I'll let you do it. Go ahead. Polar. We watched Polar. It's okay. My like one sentence summary is it's like John Wick but colder. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It's great. It's based on a graphic novel. Yes, and I'm being forced to go to the library and check Force, them out. You are at the library. You're just gonna get me the well, other. Well, I just go to the library. Well, Doesn't I just mean want I check you to get out me, books. Just get me the them for so that I can read the rest of them. Yeah. All right. You get a library card, and then I'll check out books for you. Do you want to ride to school anytime <sighs> in the cold? Okay, then. Damn it. All right. That sounds fair. Um, yeah, it was really good. It was very gory, but still really good. Nardole was in it from Doctor Who. Yeah, it's, it's, not it's, it's everything. It, it's, it's gore. There's, I mean, the violence. There's sex. There's everything. Yeah, it's, there's a lot. It's, it's definitely in your face. It's well done. It's funny. But yeah. And Mads Mickelson was great. Vanessa Hudgens was in it. I thought she was great. I know. I know. I mean, I don't know her from anything. I know you were talking about what? High she school. was in High School Musical. Yeah, well, whatever. But I Which, thought she did well. I mean, she's way, not a main. Never have seen, never will see. She's not a, she doesn't, I mean, she's a integral part, but she doesn't have a huge amount of screen time. Yeah. But in the moment she does, um, I thought she was decent. Yeah. I, she, I mean, decent. I, she was good. She was good. Yeah. yeah. I, it was, it was really good. It was, yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, okay. Do we have anything else? Just means we get to, we watch a lot of Netflix when this, we when, did Liverpool, when Liverpool's not on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they're back on Wednesday and then Saturday or Sunday and then again. So three games the next week. So stay tuned go. guys. It's going to be eventful next, uh, hey, next Wednesday. Now. Okay. So, uh, as you may remember. Well, if you haven't, you need to. Oh, I'm going to get there. Okay. Come on. So this is the second part of my two-parter about Edmund Kemper. Uh, the first part was in episode 17. So wait, 18. 18. 18. Episode 18. Yeah, 18. Whoops. Uh, so if you haven't listened to that, you should go listen because I'm launching right in because I stopped basically in the middle of murder. Well, it was his first like, uh, like non-family yeah. You know, so he's now going outside his family. You know it's bad when you have to distinguish it from family <laughs> exactly. and non-family. Um, so yeah, if you haven't listened to that, do that now. We'll wait two seconds. One, two. Okay, you should be all caught up. All right, so let us jump right back in. Uh, when we left off, we were in an unspecified time because I never looked it up. But now, let us move along to September 14th, 1972. Yeah, no, I think you were like in that, because he was doing the, uh, it, it was a similar time because he had done the um, 
150 hitchhiking pickups yes. between the time he yeah. moved back. So yeah, I think it was in that same like 71, 72 time frame. So also, so. can I say September 14th happens to be a very good friend of mine's birthday, um, and also the birthday of the protagonist in my book. So September 14th, what a great day! Okay, so that's where we are. September 14th. Happy, yeah. happy pre-birthday to the seven September 14th friend of yours. <laughs> Yeah, it's Marcus. Happy birthday, oh, Marcus. Happy birthday, Marcus. Marcus deserves ha- Yeah, that's great. All right. I don't know if Marcus even listens. He said he would, but Marcus, you better be listening. Anyway, so uh, Kemper uh, picked up 15-year-old Aiko Ku, uh, who was a dance student, uh, and she was trying to hitchhike to class. Uh, so he drove her to a remote area. He pulled a gun on her. But then he accidentally locked himself out of the car while trying to get supplies to kill her. I remember this part. Yeah. You're just thinking, this okay. It just angered me so much. <sighs> he talked her into letting him back in the car, which I can't. Oh, every time I read this, I just get so She's, angry. I remember, 15. I, I mean, know. You know yeah. Like and it's I, also it was a different time. I mean, you, it, when we watched the Netflix, um, Mindhunter, right? No, no. no. When oh. we watched the Ted Bundy thing, they were just oh. talking about because it's you know we're talking same time frame. I mean, even Kemper makes a a uh, an appearance. appearance in in the in it, not for any major major yeah, mark. But, just see some like, but they let it out saying like that it was this movement of basically that there was the first you know women's movement of right yeah. for equality and everything like that. So. There were a lot of, you know, it was a lot about like, look, women power. So that whole aspect of I'm hitchhiking, I'm doing this. And, you know, I got this mm. was kind of the, the, the mantra. But I get 15, you know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I just, oh, it makes me so sad every time. So this is Aiko. Um, she looks old. That's when she was 15, I guess. Yes. She looks older for 15. I don't know. I'm not good at ages. Anyway, um, so he talked her into letting him back in the car another thing is like he was basically able to talk himself out of a mental facility when he was 21 and like into giving all these psychiatric tests so it makes sense that he was able to do this but it just makes me so mad um so he choked her unconscious he raped her and then he killed her uh he packed her body in his trunk and then he went out for a drink so he raped her when she was i mean i know she was passed out but she wasn't dead she wasn't dead yet but or, like he was did, a necrophile did he, did he do that did he rape the other first two hitchhikers also when they were alive um i don't think well i guess so. i'll go talk about more i i for some reason i always thought no that the he, first two it was just with the corpse. but she was she was unconscious she was unconscious okay well then all right um so he while she's in the trunk of his car he goes to uh she goes out for a drink I don't know for sure that it was at the jury room, but given that he hung out there a lot, um, I mean, I feel like it could be a fair assumption. Um, So he goes out for a drink, and when he returned to his car, he opened up the trunk and, quote, admired his catch like a fisherman, then returned to his apartment. Oh, my. Yeah. So um, he then had sex with a corpse, and dismembered the body like he had done with Marianne and Anita um, and disposed of it. So now uh, fast forward to January 7th, 1973. Uh, in the time between September 14th and January 7th, Kemper had moved back in with his mother. Oh, this is never this. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, so he was driving around near... Um, Cabrillo, Cabrillo, Cabrillo College campus, Cabrillo. I, I don't. I'm gonna yeah. go with Cabrillo. Uh, he picked up 18-year-old Cindy Shaw. Uh, he drove her to a wooded area, then he shot her with a 22 caliber pistol. Uh, he placed the body in his trunk, drove back to his mother's house, hid the body in his closet overnight. Uh, then when his mother left for work the next day. He uh, had sex with the corpse and removed the bullet from her body to prevent identification. So his sisters are out of the house then. It's just him and his mother. Yes. Oh, my God. Um, so 
Then he dismembered the corpse in his mother's bathtub. And he kept the head for several days, regularly uh, engaging in intercourse with it. Um, I think, I don't remember if I said this earlier. Did I talk about whether it was um, the mouth or the neck? Yeah, you did, because you were talking about wine and crime. Yes. Yeah, so... I still, I don't know which way it was, but... It doesn't matter. Both is It disgusting. really doesn't matter. Yeah. So, then is... It, he, you didn't think he'd get more fucked up, but... Um, he buried the head in his mother's garden and angled it so that it was looking up at his mother's window. And he said later that his mother, quote, always wanted people to look up to her, which is why he buried it there. He really does have a sick, sick sense of humor. I mean, yeah. just like, you know, he's, oh my God. Yeah. Imagine if he used all those smarts and everything for good and actually tried to solve things versus, yeah. I mean, now that you were saying that he shouldn't have been a cop, remember how he didn't make it? Maybe if he had become a cop, maybe, well, I guess he already killed somebody. So no, I guess that would have been, probably been worse. I think it the been fault worse. lies mostly in his upbringing. It does, but, um. Yeah, because he already killed, and so it wouldn't have mattered. He would have gotten away with probably a lot more as a cop. Yeah. Um, so he threw the rest of the remains off of a cliff, and everything but her head and right hand were found over the next few weeks by police. So this is Cindy. Um, and then we are going to move on into February. So a month later. So... Uh, February 5th, 1973, Kemper had a heated argument with his mother and he left the house in a rage, searching for possible victims. Uh, at this point, there was heightened suspicion about a serial killer in the Santa Cruz area, so, uh, police had advised students to only get in cars with college stickers on them for safety. Now, remember earlier when I said that, uh, Clarinelle worked for uh ucsc yep well her car had a sticker on it for the college um or Kemper's car did but he got it from his mother uh so you'd never su- uh, suspect it so while he was driving kemper encountered uh rosalind thorpe who was 23 and allison lou who was 20 uh, so I've got pictures of them. Here's Rosalind. Yep. And here's Alice. Yep. Allison. Um, so Rosalind entered his car first, uh, and this reassured Allison to enter as well. Uh, so he drove them to a wooded area, then proceeded to shoot both of them fatally with a twenty-two caliber pistol and wrap their bodies in blankets. Uh, so... He brought the victims to his mother's house, and he behead he beheaded them in his car, and carried their headless corpses into the house to have sex with. Um. So then he dismembered the bodies, removed the bullets, and discarded the remains in on the next morning. Um. So later, uh, he when he was questioned as to why he beheaded the bodies before having sex with them. Uh, Kemper said, quote, the head trip fantasies were a bit like a trophy. You know, the head is where everything is out. The brains, eyes, mouth, that's the person. I remember being told as a kid, you cut off the head and the body dies. The body is nothing after the head is cut off. Well, there's not quite, that's not quite true. There's a lot left in a girl's body without the head. That's just disgusting. And, oh my God, it just, ugh. Yeah. Really disgusting. Um... So, now we are moving on to 420. April 20th. Okay. 1973. Uh, Claire who's Kemper's mom, came home from a party and woke up her son accidentally. Uh, So, while she was in bed with a book, Claire noticed Kemper enter the room. Uh, She said, quote, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. Kemper replied, no, good night. So he left and he waited for her to fall asleep. 
Then he returned and bludgeoned his mother to death with a claw hammer and then slit her throat with a knife. That's just for waking him up. Yes. I mean, I'm sure that there's a lot of things that were building up to that. I'm assuming there was more to this where before, I mean, to get into that rage, there had to be like other things. Uh, Yeah, it was definitely like things building up over time. Yeah. So he decapitated her and had sex with her head. Oh, what the? Uh, then, don't worry, it gets worse. Uh, he used... Oh my Why God. are you laughing? Don't, no it's nervous not, laughing. It's nervous laughter. You I can't help it. Just disgusting. It's so disgusting. Yeah, okay. I don't even know how to react. He used her head as a dartboard. So he, quote, put her head on a shelf and screamed at it for an hour, uh, threw darts at it, then smashed her face in. So And no one heard anything. I mean, I guess not. Um, he cut out her tongue and larynx and put them in the sink's garbage disposal. How did he um, become so... Uh, I mean, I assume he had some expertise then in dissection to do all these things. I he probably just don't himself. know. He probably just taught himself. Yeah, I, I don't know. Because I'm just thinking of the things like, that he would take out because he didn't keep anything. Right? He didn't keep no, trophies. He, he did not. Because he tried it. He didn't want anything. He eventually he, he, like got rid of everything. Okay. I mean, maybe. No, never mind. I, was I mean, gonna I know say he buried he kept, certain things in his yard for other reasons. But that yeah, I was going to say like maybe he kept like the bullets or something, but that wouldn't make sense. He probably got rid of them. Um, So the sink couldn't break down the larynx and spat it back up. Oh, God. Which Kemper found fitting. Quote, that seemed appropriate. As much as she bitched and screamed and yelled at me over so many years. So no one could shut her up is what he's saying. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, he had sex with his mother's corpse. Um, <sighs> he hid it in a closet and then went out to drink. Um, when he returned, he invited his mother's best friend, Sally Hallett, over for dinner and a movie. So, first of all, this is Clarnell. Uh, and this is Sally Hallett. Uh-huh. So, uh, when Sally arrived, he strangled her to death, then decapitated her, and, quote, spent the night with her exanimate body. Oh, my God. So, um, Kemper then stuffed her corpse in a closet, cleaned up, and wrote a note to the police. Quote, Approximately 5.15 a.m. Saturday. No need for her to suffer any more at the hands of this horrible, murderous butcher. It was quick, asleep, the way I wanted it. Not sloppy and incomplete, gents. Just a lack of time. I got things to do. Three exclamation points. Okay. So Kemper took Sally's car and left the scene and drove from California to Colorado. After not hearing any news of the murders, Kemper found a phone booth and called the police and confessed to the murders of his mother and Sally. But the police didn't take his call seriously and told him to call back later. So he called them again, uh, asking this time to speak to an officer he knew. Uh, He confessed again to killing his mother and Sally Uh, Then he waited in his car patiently for the cops to arrive. So once he was in custody, Kemper also admitted to the other murders. Um, And after his arrest, Kemper said he gave himself in because, quote, the original purpose was gone. It wasn't serving any physical or real or emotional purpose. Because his mother was dead. Yeah. Uh, It was just a pure waste of time. Emotionally, I couldn't handle it much longer. Toward the end there, I started feeling the folly of the whole damn thing. And at the point of near exhaustion, near collapse, I just said to hell with it and called it all off. So basically, th- there was no police work to any of this. No, it was... Well, I shouldn't say there was police well, work I mean, happening yes. for the other stuff, but I mean... But they, the reason they he was caught was... Yeah, they him. weren't... They were they ne- He was never a suspect, right? No. Yeah. They didn't even believe him when he called the first yeah. time. Uh, so when in custody, Kemper tried twice to commit suicide, but he was not successful either times. 
uh, either time. Uh, so he requested the death penalty, asking for death by torture. Um, but the death penalty was illegal at the time. Uh, so Kemper received seven years to life in prison for each count. There were eight counts of murder, first degree. Um, so Kemper is still at the California Medical Facility serving his sentence. So he got eight life—I mean, I understand seven to life, but, but, he, it's got, like but life. he got eight life sentences. Yeah. Because he committed—there was no trial, right? He just pled guilty, I assume. I think so. Okay. Um, so he has a half-brother who in 2017 said that his family lives in fear of what he might do if he was ever released from prison. Okay, I, I just, I I feel like he's not that that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I also think that, that, that I, I don't know, but at the same time, he did kill no, I understand, three members of his family. No, I understand, but he killed for a reason. But I know, was it was a, a reason, yeah. but at the same time. Did he kill his sisters? I know, I, I know. I'm, I'm just, not, I'm trying. I'm trying I'm to not, understand, like. I'm not trying to defend him. I'm just saying that I think he, there was. He wouldn't, like, act. There was a method to his madness. Right, yeah. Um. I feel like that guy's just trying to get, you know, some type of fame for it or just basically wants to, you know, hey, me, 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 attention this, look at Mm -hmm. that, my my half-brother, half-brother, I mean, come on. This is the, this is the brother probably of his dad. Yeah. The son of his, yeah. I can suck it. Wow. All right. Uh, Several family members of Kemper's have said that they'd, quote, hunt down and kill him if he ever got out. (laughs) Okay. Um... So his sisters, um, his younger sister, uh, her name was Allen, A L L Y N, uh, and his it might be Allen or Aileen. Oh, maybe it is Aileen. I don't know. Uh, and Susan or Ellen. Oh, you're right. Uh, Susan is his older sister. Um, they both claim that he is quote a good person who did bad things. Uh, and little is really known about them. But it's alleged that Susan died in 2014. I, I don't know if he's a good person. I just think he is a diabolical, smart, very smart person. Extremely smart. And I know that he's a model prisoner, right? They were mm-hmm. saying from all the things. So I'm not saying that he's been reformed. But I think he also said, I would never let me out. I mean, I believe he's said that in the past. Too. Yeah, like, I, I would he... never go for parole if I even had the opportunity because I'm not, I'm not, yeah, like he I'm understands. a danger. He knows yeah. he's a danger. So, yeah, that is the story of Edmund Kemper. Well, again, it's gruesome, but I feel like the only good he has done or the, that has happened on this is that he's he turning ha- himself in. Well, no one turns himself in, but he did, he, he has spoken to. Um, and like to try to help with. To, uh, to understand his mind and his thinking and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So um, as long as it's sincere you know it's i believe it's helped i mean they from everything that we've seen and read from the behavioral scientists is that he Mm -hmm. has been a help so you know he's he is where he should be um but yeah that's pretty gruesome yeah all right time for your story i'm excited i haven't heard much okay well here we go so i kind of have to explain just the genre of this story okay it's to me it's true horror okay all right but does it fit i mean i guess it is everything in between so it doesn't have to fit into our three well i mean it's horror it's i mean it's not a true crime the way yours was i want to did it actually happen it actually happened this is nothing this is there is complete documentation footage government everything oh my god is it like a conspiracy or no no. I'm so curious. Okay, so it's true horror. All right. Um, I'll just do my, let me do my intro to it and everything like that, and then I'll talk about the years and everything like that. So so the story, like I said, just plain simple. It's a true horror story. It has to do with nature's power over all living things. Okay. Specifically, in this tale, it's nature's fury on animals and humans. Hmm. The main characters include bats, monkeys, teachers, doctors, kids, <laughs> tourists, and scientists. I love how you went from bats and monkeys just to teachers. So we begin in the mid-70s in the north of Zaire. 
Okay. Which is now the Democratic Republic of, of the Congo. Okay. So it was Zaire. It's kind of like my Aussie story. Bats and Africa. So no? we're Okay. Yeah. Well, you're going to visit a particular dormant volcano. Volcano. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And a cave in Kenya. Okay. And by the late 80s, we will finally make our way to the United States. Ooh. In every stop, we will encounter some... We're, gonna, we're encountering death, pretty well, much. I figured. Sometimes in the hundreds. And sometimes... Well, the thousands is a little bit later. I'll explain that oh, later. Oh, okay. This is... I mean, it's crazy. And, you know, it's true horror, right? All right. Okay. <laughs> I just want to make I'm, sure. Right? I'm listening. And as I said, all this has been, this is documented, you'll see. I'm not, this is not the Rudolph thing or anything like that. Yeah, I, I better not I be swear, lying. I swear. Um, and last thing, mm. the cause of these deaths is still happening today, and there are no signs of it stopping. What? Are we at risk? I think everyone can be at risk. Oh, great. All right. So here we go. Like I said, it's t- it starts in the... Mid seventies. The, the the portion I'm speaking is the are the mid seventies um, mm-hmm. to nineteen ninety, and then I'm going to talk about today. But the majority of the story might is is that period of time. So we're talking seventy six to about nineteen ninety. Right. Okay. Right. And I'll say that I knew nothing about this when it was happening in real time, but. Um, if I can remember the point, I'll try to remember it. But there was when, when I learned about it, mm-hmm. which was much later in the late '90s, yeah, mid to late '90s. I want to say like '94, '95. Um, it, it freaked me out. Oh my! So 1976. We're in Zaire, as I mentioned. It's now the Democratic Republic of of the Congo. Okay. It's late August. Mabalo Lokela was touring with a mission in Zaire. So Zaire was considered Zaire from 1971 to 1997. It was a coup and all these other things. And that's why it's now the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. So I may go between Zaire and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Okay. He was a headmaster for a local school um, in the town of Yambuku. Mm-hmm. And Yambuku is kind of near the north northern northeastern area of of the of zaire so if you zaire is it's kind of in west africa okay it's it's the section that he's going to is north but what borders that area of zaire is um the central african republic was above it so there's a there's a river that doesn't separate it but the the, they were visiting this river called um Where's the name of it? I think I'm, I'm going to come to it. All right. So they were traveling along a river. He, he was a school teacher. He was, it was a Christian school. He was kind of, they were on a mission. I okay. think he was trying to help. The, the indigenous name of the river is called Legbala. All right. Okay. Which is also a tributary to the Congo River. Okay. So the Congo River is a bigger river than there. And it like sort of spouts off from it or? Yeah. So they were, again, in this area. It wasn't in central, the Central African Republic, but still in Zaire. So um, he'd done this mission. He had returned to his town of uh-huh. Yambuku. And upon that return, he started to, be, started to begin to feel ill. And at first, he was diagnosed with malaria. And at the hospital, he was given um, uh, basically uh, quinine for, um, for malaria. It's, just, it's like All pills. Right. I know nothing pills. about malaria. So. It, so it's, it's airborne. Some, I shouldn't say it's airborne. It's a mosquito. It's a disease. Well, I know that much, but I don't know like the I don't know. Um, so, but after a couple of days, he was starting to get much worse, and okay. he started to get a really high fever, like spiking, hundred four, something like that. And he was the only one affected with this. The... Yeah, at the time. Okay. So on September first, he returned to the hospital, which was the local hospital in Yambuku, which was a mission, the missionary hospital there. All right. Um, and the only treatment they basically were saying to him is that, look, you have a high fever. Um, you just need rest and take your time rest. So he left Yambuku, the mission area, and he went back to his home, which was in Yalaconde. It's about a half mile from okay. Yambuku in the mission hall. On September 5th, Lokela took, to, took a dramatic turn for the worse. He was a shell of himself, both physically and mentally. Oh, my God. He was said to be in a perpetual agitated and confused state. Okay. 
Like, was he just in bed rest or was he walking around? He was, he, he, he could move, but the way, the way I believe is that it was almost as if, um, zombie-esque kind of thing. Yeah, like, that's you what know, I was right? thinking. So he can move, arthritic, whatever you want to call it, but not, you know, he's a shadow of himself, right? So, right. um, he's, I don't want to see, I don't know if agitated meant he was angry, but if, or if he was just like paranoid or whatever it may be, but he wasn't himself and people knew right away oh, that wow. there was something wrong. And then physically, they realized his blood was not clotting. So he started bleeding from every orifice. So his Holy eyes, mother. his nose, his mouth, oh everything. Oh, God. Okay. Um, he started to vomit. He had diarrhea. He had chest pains. He had headaches wow. and a spiking fever. And by September 8th, he was dead. Oh, my God. What uh, year is this again? This is 1976. Oh, wow. On August 28th, same year, okay, in a nearby village of Yandongi, another man was reported to have similar symptoms as Lokela. That man left the hospital on the 30th of August, and he was never seen again. Never seen again. Never seen again. At that similar hospital, same hospital, I mean, another patient, Yombe Ngongo, was at the hospital on the 30th being treated for anemia. Soon after treatment, she returned to her village, and she felt seriously ill. And she would die on September 7th. So it's all like starting at this, well, sort of starting at this hospital. In the Yambuku. Yombe's younger sister, Yuza, she was caring for Yombe. She would die two days later. Holy, like was she, saying, was she exhibiting the same symptoms? She'd die two days, I'm assuming, yes. Wow. The Yakumbo... I think I'm spelling it. I think I spell it differently every time. So I want to make sure I'm calling it the right way. So I, I think I'm saying them wrong because there's another. There was too many Y's that was good. But I, I'm I'm going back to the Yambuku Hospital. Okay. Okay, Yambuku. So the Yambuku Hospital would see multiple cases now, similar to Lokela's, within days of his arrival. So he was there, you know, in um, early late August, and then again a couple times in early September. So this is wow. around that period of time. So at Lokela's funeral. Yeah. 21 of the mourners would also fall ill. 21. How many 18 people would die? I don't know how many total, so but 21. So some got better, though. So, so some were family, some were, um, you know, just regular mourners. Um, that hospital, the uh, the uh, um, Yambuku Hospital, mm -hmm. was, a, like I said, was a Catholic mission hospital, and it was staffed by uh, four Belgian nuns. Uh, a, I believe a, I think it was also a, Maybe it was a um, Zairean priest and other and some Zairean nurses. Maybe it was mm -hmm. actually a Belgian priest and then Zairean nurses, eight of them, I think, one female, seven male. Okay. So they were overwhelmed with these illnesses, right? They couldn't, and it, they'd never seen anything like anything of that. And it would take about two weeks before they got outside assistance. On September 15th, all right, so it's late August when these things started happening, to, you know, 28th-ish. So it's maybe 20, uh, six, 17 days, roughly. Um, Dr. Mgoy Mushola arrived, and he would be the first to describe the new nature's killers to the outside world. So he's the first one to actually make a description of this. Wow. Okay. There would be 318 identified cases, and 280 of them would result in death. Holy shoot. The killers would be the killer... This nature's killer would be named after the Legbala River. But instead of using the indigenous name, it was called by its French name, Ebola. Oh, my Lord. Are you kidding me? This is Rudolph-like. No, it's not. Yes, because I was all psyched up about this, like, strange thing that I'd never heard about. <sighs> this and it's Ebola. I can stop if you think. No, it, you, no stop. Continue. I'm just very ticked off. I don't know why you are. This particular strain was named Ebola Zaire. Okay. Uh huh. Um, and it's considered the most deadly strain out of all all the viruses. The hospital would close after 11 of the 17 staff members died. Um, it would later be discovered that the outbreak outbreak started due to the nuns not sterilizing needles. God so, damn it. I mean, who expects? I mean. Look, I'm not going to blame, I mean, who, this is the first time anyone's dealing with this. Okay, true. Okay? However, there was another outbreak that had occurred a bit earlier than the uh, the Yambuku 
outbreak. Mm-hmm. It was in southern Sudan. There, there was 285 identified cases and 151 deaths. Oh, wow. This strain was called Ebola Sudan. Um, and it was after the Ebola Zaire outbreak that the Sudan outbreak would get defined due to similar symptoms. So mm-hmm. it was almost within, the way I read it was, um, it was July to November, the Sudan one happened. And this mm-hmm. one was, you know, the August, September area part. Wow. Um, and they, they didn't, they couldn't contain it until the World Health Organization mobilized to contain it. And, um, wow. and the Congolese Air Force did it, right? So for my... I want to now give my uh, the resources I had done and, and explain something more. So a lot of this is, of course, you know, there's a bunch of things on Wikipedia, mm. but Canada Free Press had done something on the 25th anniversary. CBS did something on the 25th anniversary. Um, there's a host of other blog spots and things like that, but the there's a book called The Hot Zone by Richard Preston that I read when it was in the mid-90s. And when we get to a one part of the story, I'm going to explain a little bit more. But I highly recommend, if you, anybody it wants to read a book that's going to basically scare the crap out of you because it's real, it's um, this Richard Preston book. And the way I'm telling this story is he doesn't go into the detail of the Zaire and the Sudan. Mm. He, he specifically will talk about a, a, the thing that happens in the United States because that's what's so spooky about it. But um, he does mention these cases. So in 1980, now, so we're, we're 1976, there's this crazy the outbreak, Ebola, Sudan, mm-hmm. Ebola, um, Zaire. Okay. So now we're in 1980, we're in Kenya. All right. Mount Elgon, or Elgon, I think it's Elgon, I don't know how to say it exactly, is an extinct volcano on the border of the Uganda and Kenya, um, on the border of Uganda and Kenya. Okay. And near the base of this volcano uh, was a sugar factory, and... At the sugar factory oh. was factory. There was this. Uh, there was a French electrical engineer that worked there. Okay. And you got to remember, in that area, there was a lot of expats, lots, lots of you know, the Belgian nurses in the other Western Africa countries of the of Zaire and all. So there was a huge expat French influence as well. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's all basically from colonization that they tried, or if it was from business and things like that. So it wasn't unheard of to have foreigners working at these places. Um, and at the immediate base of this volcano is a cave, Kittum Cave, K-I-T-U-M. And Kittum Cave is considered an elephant cave. It's one of the five uh, caves at the at the base of this volcano. Mm-hmm. And an elephant cave is defined as a place where, shockingly, elephants wow. will enter. And why they go in there is because there's a lot of minerals and a lot of salt. So what they'll do is they'll go into the caves and they'll use their tusks and they'll basically try to scrape off salt off the walls to eat. So that's their whole big thing that they'll go in there and then, so the caves have actually gotten bigger from the side. Right, from like the elephants, yeah. yeah. Because of of the elephants. However, because of this, there's remnants of salt everywhere and, um, on the uh, floor of the, of the cave, then there would be scavengers because they'd come for the salt. So, Bush buck, which are kind of like um, deer, like antelope kind of thing. Okay. Buffalo and hyenas will also oh go for the salt. Um, the cave itself is about 700 feet uh, deep, long, I guess. Deep, in- yeah. Into the, into the uh, volcano. And as you go further in, so where the elephants, the elephants don't go all the way down deep. And actually, I did read someplace that there were some crevices where baby elephants had died because they fall oh. in crevices. But if you go in further... You will find bats. Bats. And they basically were, it was a, the cave was a home for fruit eating or insect eating bats. I don't, the, the, the species I didn't see, uh, or that wasn't said. So besides there being salt all over the floor, there are other things, of course. So there's elephant feces, buffalo, like just animal feces. Just. But when you go deeper in, bat guano. Oh. Right. So a lot of guano. So now. We're in New Year's Eve, 1980. Okay. okay. The engineer, is, and they never gave his name, just so you know. Like, there's, there, in the book, they they use a pseudonym called, uh, I want to say Claude Monet, I think is his name that they use. Um, but As they, in? The, uh, I don't know if they did it because, I, again, I just think that they did it. They just, it, it's a pseudonym. And I don't, I don't know what if it was because of private, the family wanted to keep it private or what. I, I'm not exactly okay. sure. 
So the cave is was a destination place. It's not off limits or anything like that. You just kind of have to be careful because you don't want to be surprised by elephants, hyena, buffalo, yeah. that kind of thing. So the French um, engineer was also very loved nature, loved animals. Um, he was known to feed monkeys and birds, sometimes just getting them to be perched on his shoulders to feed them, that kind of thing. And on this trip, he had a friend come up with him, and they camped outside uh, huh. the, the cave. And um, But where they camped, they found after the fact that this area was covered with buffalo feces and things like that too. So, I mean, they're oh, in an area disgusting. where it's just, you know, there's it's high traffic for the animals. Mm. Um, also, the trees around were olive trees that were poisonous to humans, but monkeys live in the trees and they'd be eating those olives and throwing pits and discarding oh, right. stuff also all over the place. On New Year's Day, they explore the cave and of, and they the path they cross were through elephant feces and bad guano. So... They did the cave thing. Everything's done. He returns to work after the trip. And roughly a week later, so the first week of January, he starts to complain of chronic headaches. Shortly thereafter, his symptoms increased. He, incre- he had uh, back aches. He had fever. He was um, nauseous. He was vomiting. Um, uh, and we'll talk about all the kind of things there. And, so he, and then he, he personally uh, started to change. So same thing, like his personality of his normal ways people noticed it his eyes turned red and he was rushed to the hospital but the doctors couldn't diagnose him with anything he was then sent via commercial flight to nairobi wow when he got on the plane um he began to vomit black and red oh that's disgusting and he started and he started to bleed nosebleed have nosebleeds so immediately after they landed he landed they threw him in a cab taxi and rushed they just him, put him in a taxi? And rushed him to the hospital. And as he entered the hospital, he collapsed, lost consciousness, and started bleeding out. Oh, my God. Like on the floor. He was rushed into the ICU where Dr. Shem Musoki and several other nurses performed triage on, on him. Dr. Musoki, not knowing what, was, what he was dealing with, ended up getting covered with blood, including in his eyes and in his mouth. Oh, no. That's not good. The engineer died that evening. And where I'd read this, that uh, Musoki had sat with him like all night. Oh, wow. Nine days later, Dr. Musoki started to have similar symptoms. Aches, red eyes, jaundice, abdominal pain. I believe his liver was very enlarged. Um, Dr. Musoki was immediately sent to surgery. And as he was in surgery, they discovered that his blood was not clotting at all. Um, So they stabilized him. This this other doctor stabilized him. And they sent a... Uh, blood and tissue sample to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, and he was immediately immediately diagnosed with Marburg virus. Okay. And Marburg virus is another strain similar. It's a hemorrhagic um, fever. Okay. We talked so a strain of kind of the Ebola strain. All right. He was saved by treatment, so blood transfusions and everything like that. And wow. um, that specific strain, though, they called. It Marburg um, it ended up being called like Marv because it was named after Musoki. It's M A R V. So it's huh. the Marburg virus, but it's under because of him, and he survived. In 1987, yes, another person would visit Kittum Cave, and that was a Dutch boy who would also suffer the same fate. He would die. Oh no! And they called this strain um, R A V V, which was named after this after him, and the last name was uh, Raven or R A V N. So. Another strain. So two deaths from this cave. From this cave. Okay. The original outbreak of Marburg, though, and yeah. why it's called Marburg, was in 1967 when 30, 31 people became ill in the German town of Marburg and Frankfurt, as well as in Belgrade, Yugoslavia. Seven people ended up dying. Oh and my. the outbreak was traced to Grivitz, a type of monkey from imported from Uganda. Oh. Important, right? Wow. And they were imported for scientific experiments and and for vaccines, things like that. Damn scientists. In 2007, scientists found... So they they were trying to track this down, right? So they they didn't know where the origin of this thing was happening. But in 2007, scientists found reservoirs of the Marburg virus in Uganda in the guano of the same type of bats that were found in Kittum Cave. Oh, wow. And two mine workers had contracted Marburg, which caused the investigation. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. 
Wow. They were not bitten, though, by the bats. And now they believe that they got the virus through inhaling um, bat powdered bat guano. So it's just toxic to like be in that cave. It's through the lungs that they got it. So right. before it was, you know, other ways. Because usually it's through blood or things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, that okay. makes sense. That's not so, good. Um, no, not. And that's why, um, and the reason I'm talking about that is that th- th- these viruses, they're, they're all coming back to certain areas of Africa. Oh, my. Okay. That's not good. So, 1989. Okay. United States of America. Oh, no. Reston, Virginia. That's not too far away. Reston, Virginia is only 15 miles outside of Washington, D.C., Oh my. The Hazelton Hazelton, sorry, Hazelton Research Company was was operating a quarantine center for monkeys in Reston. Okay. Oh, I think you talked about this like before. And after their quarantine was over, the monkeys, they would be shipped and moved to laboratories, you know, mm. for testing all over all over the country. On October 4th, the Reston facility received uh, dozens of crab-eating macaques, um, a type of monkey from the Philippines. And I read like hundreds, so there was a difference between that kind of thing. Huh. Um, when the crates arrived, two of the monkeys were dead, were found dead. Oh. And about a month later, 29 of the monkeys were dead. Oh, that's, that's not good. The majority of these monkeys were housed in the same lab area, those 29, right? Oh, no. At first, they thought the monkeys were dying because their, their heating and cooling system, the air, AC and stuff, was failing sporadically, so they just thought it was part of the environment that was causing the issue. Oh, no. But as time passed, every night more monkeys died. Oh, my God. And by mid-November, the lab technicians believed that the, that the, the they were dying based on um, uh, simian hemorrhagic uh, fever. So there's a specific thing to monkeys oh, that okay. would cause that. Is there like a human equivalent? Uh, yeah. yeah. Just, you e- know, that Ebola. for human. Oh, I know, but like I meant that they thought of at the time. No, no, because it was, it was so specific to the monkeys that they just thought it, there's, it was like a monkey flu. Right? Oh, okay. Flu is not the right word, but you know what I mean. But the odd part of this was the, monkey, the, uh, the monkeys dying were that they would start in the one room where they were enclosed. And it was jumping to other rooms. Oh wow! Where these monkeys weren't interacting, so, so you would have room C, D, F. They were. It was just spreading across mm. the facility. So they started to think that this this virus was now airborne, and they were trying to figure out, you know, how they could, uh, what was going on. And again, before that, there had never been any uh, recorded um, uh, case of Ebola being or any of its strains being in the airborne, US. right it had to be oh. oh anywhere it had to be contracted this is 1989 yeah it had to be contracted through bodily fluids some type of bodily fluid huh. okay so based on the assumption um that this was not simian you know fe- hemorrhagic fever they began testing the blood of the deceased monkeys and they de- that's when they decided they found that it was a strain of ebola and it was Ebola Zaire again, the most like that, the one that the was strain that the was beginning. killing the monkeys was um, uh, like the Zaire. most deadly one. Yes, they tested against the Marburg Musoki, um, the Ebola Sudan, and Zaire, and it, they realized it was Zaire, which again freaked them all out because it's the deadliest of them all. Mm-hmm. Immediately, the lab contacted the U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases, and they were based in Fort Detrick, Maryland. And to contain this outbreak, it just became a huge biohazard, uh, biohazard operation. Think ET, like the tents. Oh, yeah, like yeah. That. Now, remember, this is in a residential area. I mean, people, they, when they interviewed later, was like they couldn't understand why people were going in and out in these um, you know, white suits, biohazard <laughs> I suits. I would and move. Well, no one knew. Like, no one knew what was going on. They knew that it was a lab, but they didn't know what was happening. But hazmat um, suits? I'm yeah. gone. So then they were euthanizing all the monkeys. They were bagging them. They were incinerating their carcasses and chemically cleaning and fumigating um, the building with formaldehyde gas. So by December 7th, 450 monkeys were euthanized, with almost all of them showing symptoms of of Ebola. And when they were examining the x-rays of the monkey's chest, they noticed that the Ebola particles were in the air spaces of their lungs. Oh, my God. So it was just, you know, so they could see, you know, under microscopic tissue, that kind of thing, too. So, I mean, I know they they incinerate, but they... They had 
tissue samples and things like that too. Um, and this furthered the theory that the Ebola was airborne. Right. So it was in their lungs and in the, in the spaces. Um, during this operation of trying to contain it, two of the monkey handlers, because when they arrived, none of them were wearing any. Like, I mean, these people that were holding the monkeys and all the people that worked in the lab, they weren't in the biomat. I mean, yeah, uh, they uh, hazmat suits. Hazmat suits, right. So two of the monkey handlers got sick. One had a heart attack based on the sickness. The other uh, showed flu-like symptoms and was vomiting. And wow. neither, again, had any contact with the monkeys through fluids, like blood, you know, anything. Um, another person who was performing a, necro- a, necrop- a necropsy um, on one of the dead infected monkeys cut himself with a bloody oh. scalpel, scalpel, and the virus entered his bloodstream. Yeah, that's not good. All three were exposed to the, the virus, but none of them contracted Ebola. Huh. Why was that? I'll go. Oh. So after the building was cleared, it took like roughly three days to do everything like that. Uh-huh. The lab would be returned to Hazleton, and almost immediately, Hazleton procured more um, monkeys from the same Philippine source. Okay. And by mid-January, monkeys in, in a particular room developed bloody noses and were dying again. No. They destroyed the monkeys and vacated oh the God. building. Destroyed they destroyed the monkeys. They just so cruel. They left, right? About four months later, four of the monkey handlers were tested again, and they had all the antibodies to fight a- Ebola. So oh. it meant that people were infected, and maybe the majority of the people that were in that lab had been infected by Ebola Zaire. Right. But they or that just... strain. But... It was only deadly to monkeys and not huh. to humans. So due to that fact, and at the time, it received its own name, Ebola Restin. Okay. It is now categorized as Rest-V for, or the Restin virus. It's the sixth strain of Ebola. How many strains are there? It's the sixth strain. Yeah. Six. But I was asking if there were more than that. That's it. There's six strains of Ebola. Okay. I, I mean... I was just asked because before you're like, oh, this is one, this is another one, and this is a sixth oh, one. Because I didn't say it was the sixth of something, so it's the only, it's the last strain, it's the okay. most recent strain because there was there's so there Marburg, could be more. Well, depending develop. on what happens, right? But um, like Marburg, so there's Ebola, Zaire, Zaire, Ebola Sudan, and now Ebola Restin, and then there's a Marburg um, Musoki, and then uh-huh. the Marburg Raven. Yeah, those are, and then there's another the original Marburg. That's the six. But uh, they're all types of, a, it's an of a bowl. Ebola. So there's only six there's as only of six, right yes. now. So I apologize for that. Yes, six. Um, so just think about that at the time, right? So there's Ebola Zaire uh-huh. in the United States, airborne. Oh, my. And no one knew. No one knew about this. It wow. was that book, The Hot Zone. So I was in D.C. between... I read the book while I was yeah, there. Yeah, I remember you telling me this story. Yeah, between 95 and 96 at time, right. maybe 94 to 96 or whatever it is. But it was just crazy to be like this, you know, Western Virginia. I think actually when your mom, we went to D.C. way back because your mom's, you know, was a Washington Redskins fan. But um, you, we had to go through Reston to go to their stadium. Because oh, my God. The, the, the Did Metro, you pass the lab? I, I didn't look at they just So here's the thing. The air, so that lab has been destroyed, huh? And now it's a dentist's office, it's re- stores, rental. I mean, it's just there. It's their space, and I have no idea how many people you know about breathe it. Breathe a lot at the dentists. Well, I mean, they destroyed the building and <laughs> no, all these other things. I know. So, so that's. I don't know if I get that part, but that is crazy. Like how, how that could have just. I mean, Ebola could have just spread throughout the United yeah, States. Yeah, it could have happened so quickly. So, in conclusion. There is no vaccination. Oh, really? Or cure for Ebola. I thought they had come up with like something. If it's caught early enough, it can be con- it can be combated with basically blood transfusions, and okay. there is ways to fight that. And there are antibodies to the point, but there's no hundred percent. You know, take this, you're you're going to be okay. You know, cured. Right? right. The death rate of the virus can be anywhere between twenty five and ninety percent. Holy mackerel! The largest outbreak ever detected was from two thousand and thirteen to two thousand and sixteen. I remember that happening and everyone was like freaking out yeah, about it. In West Africa, it was Guinea, Liberia, and Sierra Leone where it affected tw- about approximately 28,600 cases. 
Holy. And 11,300 people died. Wow. So almost. You know, Wasn't there like like three cases in the U.S. that happened recently too? At the same time. So during this outbreak, a Liberian man had flown from Liberia to Texas. Oh, yeah. And when he was in Texas, he felt ill and he died in the hospital. And it was the first ever case of Ebola on U.S. soil. Two nurses who cared for him contracted Ebola. And it was the first ever transmission case of outside of Africa, just completely. Right. Um, both nurses did survive. And there have been a few other health workers who were involved in that first outbreak mm. and had contracted the disease and then returned home. I think, I mean, there was somebody in Maine, too, that was like, there were people, so that person wanted to leave the house. And it was almost like basically saying that, you know, you the, even though when they were cured and the, the stigma and people didn't understand, like, these people put their lives on the line to contain this outbreak to save people. Yeah. And now you're treating them like they're basically, you know, the zombie apocalypse is coming, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. But they were, you know, contained there. And the last, the most recent outbreak was in August of last year. Last year. And it just, it, it started in August, it ended in November, and over 200 people died in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Oh my God. But they now do believe that it can be traced to the guano of these bats. They're not sure how they get it, but it could be from a whole host of things of what they're eating from the fruit, mm. uh, how they, you know, what, if they get bit by, th- I mean, there's all these, is it mosquito? They don't, they just don't know the starting, but the, that's, that's the story. Oh my Ebola, God. Nature's killer. Great. You've made me afraid to breathe. That's true horror. Yeah. I wasn't trying to fake you out, just so you know. I know. Means. I just assumed it was going to have, like, I don't know. You told me there was going to be a lot of deaths, and I was like, oh, it's going to be, like, some murdery kind of thing. But It was going to be, like, a thousand deaths of, like, a single person. Like, I didn't say it was going to be a single person, but, right. Right. but didn't yeah. expect Ebola, that's for sure. So I just figured it fit. It was something different. Something I mean, like yeah. I was. It was definitely refreshing. That was, that was a good story. All right. All right. So. Uh, our fun fact this week is about bat poop. Um, so, did you know bat droppings can be used to make gunpowder? So we could basically kill more Shoot people Ebola with Ebola because, you know, who cares about gun rights now? So we now we're just not only killing them that, but we're, we're going to be killing yeah, them by Ebola, with Ebola and the bullets. There you go. That Ebola just seems bullets. like, you know. Yeah, it's... I feel like that's... It was an important resource uh, during the American Civil War for gunpowder. Fun fact. Oh, so it was, it was American bat guano. Yeah, but I mean, we can probably get Ebola bat guano and then make gunpowder. That's not. Uh, this is from, um, where's this from? It's from uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. So, it's five fun facts about bats. Again, it still creeps me out that, like, you know, you're, and when you see all those things when people are in caves, any David Attenborough thing, you're like, yeah. and the one that was just on, the one that they showed, uh, the, the, this past, um, what? Dynasty's one with the monkeys. Oh, yeah. They were, um, in Western Africa. I mean, I, don't th- I think it was in Senegal, though. I don't think it we was. We didn't watch in. the whole thing, though. Yeah, I did. What do you mean but, you um, did? The, but the other oh, one is, oh, wait, hold on. On. there's a one in Africa, no, 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 too, no, no, where no. they do the No, 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 I need you to explain yourself here. I watch, because you, you take too long. But let's get down. Take too long to do what? Right. To well, do we'll my do homework? No yeah, come on. So, make sure we tell everybody about how to find us on all our social media. You so little... So, why don't you do your little spiel, and let's not forget, and make sure they subscribe to our, you know, Apple Podcasts, because, you know, they need to rate. And okay. This is so, why I do the I know, but I just want to make sure you get to it. Otherwise, yeah, this will be like I another hour. To- Let's go. If you want to tell us your own fun facts, please email them to us at everythinginpodcast at gmail.com. Um, also, if you've experienced something that's like true crime or paranormal or have an urban legend from wherever you grew up or have a story like that from your friends or family, uh, email those to us because we really, really want to Or just make... ideas. Just if there's something you just want to hear about. I think yeah, suggestions too. Like, I'm itching to make like a listener stories episode because I've said in past episodes, I've got the perfect title for it and I need to use it. So let's go send those in. Um, you can also submit those things to our blog um, or through our blog, which is www.everythingpodcast.weebly.com. That's a blog? We have a blog? Well, it's, it's a website. It's a website, but it's also it's technically a blog because that's what they call it. 
It's a Have website. you actually written something in there about for like a blogging thing? Well, I mean, I put visuals from the episodes, which you can go there to see. I mean, that's like the blog element of it. But All right, I don't... so you're you're updating posts. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, All right. that's fine. I, I I'll take that it. That works. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we post visuals and just fun stuff like that. Um, and then there's also links to our social media on there. So uh, you can follow us on Instagram at everything in podcast on Twitter at between underscore podcast. And we have a Facebook page and group both by the name everything in between podcast. So please remember subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. Um, and also on Apple podcasts, leave us a rating and a review because it really, really helps. Uh, and we've got no reviews yet. So we have ratings. We don't have reviews. So be the first person to do it. <laughs> be the coolest cat in town. Um, but yeah. And then suggest this to your friends, your family, uh, your, your new bosses. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's about it. Uh, so yeah, until next week. Bye. Bye.